much as it's nerve-wracking to seek the Lord and find a message, it's a privilege. Really, it's a privilege that he would choose me to bring a word to you. And it's not just something that I pluck out of the air. It's something that he places in my heart through his word, through preaching that I hear, through the stuff, the God stuff that I put in. He deals with me and he gives me something. And I know it's from him because people have touched on it. Brother Thomas almost went all over it the other, the other week. Sister Down stood here and spoke to us about detoxing. And there other others have, have, have touched on what I want to speak on tonight. My opening text this evening is Daniel. Chapter 5. In verse 27. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Tonight, I want to preach a thought to you. How much do I weigh? Let's just pray. Lord God, you're good to us, Jesus. And Lord, you've chosen, oh Lord, to use a man, oh God, to bring the word of God to us. You have chosen the preaching of your word, Lord God, to perfect us, Lord Jesus, to bring us Lord God, to a place in our faith in you, O Lord, that you would grow us into the measure of the stature of the man, Christ Jesus. This is your method, O Lord. This is your thing, O Lord God. And I pray, Lord, for your anointing. I pray, Lord Jesus, for clarity. I pray, O God, that there would be hearts open to hear your word tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you're anything like me, you too have a love-hate relationship with your bathroom scales. Maintaining a healthy weight range can be difficult for some of us, and there are many individual factors that contribute to this. We're all different, and our bodies react differently to certain foods. Some of us look at food and put on five kilos. And other of us can eat whatever we want and don't have to worry about what the scales will say in the morning. Regardless of how our bodies react to food, I know one thing. My scales have never indicated that my body weight is found wanting. To be found wanting is to be lacking. Lacking in a required or necessary quality. It can mean that something is non-existing or absent. The scales have never told me that I'm lacking in body weight or that it's non-existing or absent. In fact, quite the opposite. There probably has never been a time in history where excess body weight has been such an issue. The increase of technology and machinery used in the workforce, processed foods on the market and in our diet has had an adverse effect on our nation's general health and well-being. Almost two in three Australian adults are overweight. Today, 10% more adults are overweight than in 1995, 
and as a result, we have an increase in health issues related to excess body weight. Excess body weight is a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, some musculoskeletal conditions, and even some cancers. By making life more convenient in the way we work and eat, we have made ourselves sick. We still work hard, but we take in more calories than we can burn. When our diets were full of whole foods and made from scratch, we were scrubbing floors, washing clothes by hand, digging ditches with picks and shovels, mixing cement by hand, manually harvesting crops and milking cows, and the list goes on. All these done by the sweat of our brow. The craft of bread making was hard work. All the mixing and moulding was done by hand. And even baking cakes required breaking a sweat. If you don't believe me, try creaming eggs and butter with a wooden spoon. But today, we are consuming more calories through processed foods and we do less. Many of the once manual daily tasks have been automated and can be done with a flick of a switch or the press of a button in a sitting or standing position with some movement still required, but not like in the good old days. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, excess body weight is the second highest contributor to burden of disease after dietary risk. Burden of disease combines multiple data sources to count and compare the total fat, fatal and non-fatal health loss from diseases and injuries. This concern is so serious that we have a Commonwealth Government Department looking after and collating and analysing this data to give us the statistics and to put in place procedures to educate people towards a healthy body weight and better health. We've seen increases in fitness facilities. They're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that people can exercise at a time that is convenient for them. We have techno technological devices that are designed to influence us to live healthier lives. They count our steps, monitor our heart rate, our sleep patterns, all trying to improve our health by motivating, motivating us to a healthier lifestyle and get rid of that excess body weight. There are diets and programs and professionals and doctors all trying to correct our eating habits and break our addictions to sugar and trans fats. We are surrounded by help, yet the numbers of people suffering from disease contributed to by excess body weight continues to increase. We all need to be good stewards of our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But we also need to be good stewards of our heart. Of course, if you're looking after your body, you're taking care of your physical heart. But what about the other part of us? The part that goes unseen. The spiritual part. Our body, uh, sorry, our soul and our spirit. Our heart, which, our heart, which is our innermost workings. While body weight is an important issue physically, spiritually we can ascertain through scriptures that heart weight is even more important. How much do I weigh? Proverbs 21 and 2. If you want to turn there. 
I'm going to read it from the New, um, the New King James Version. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And if you flip over a couple of uh, chapters, Proverbs 24 and 12. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? The word weigh in the New King James Version is pondereth in the King James. The, this word is translated from the Hebrew word torkan, which means to balance, that is measure out by weight or dimension, figuratively to arrange, equalize, through the idea of leveling, mentally estimate or test, Bear up, direct, meet, ponder, tell, or weigh. In, in, in ancient times, a balance was used to weigh different items. The value of quantity was not determined by a currency-based system like we have today, but rather by weight or measure. A balance consisted of a beam which is suspended at its exact centre and two pans of equal weight, both suspended from the beam. Known weights were then placed in one of the pans and whatever was being measured would be placed into the other pan. When the pans contain exactly the same mass, the beam was in balance. Where's my PowerPoint? There we go. That's a balanced beam. A balanced balance. How much do I weigh? Just leave it up there, Sophia, I think. The word of God speaks of the delight the Lord has in just weights and his abhorrence of a false balance. We read that every man, we read, sorry, that every man is right in his own eyes. Unfortunately, the way man measures is, is inaccurate and is a false balance. We determine our reality by processing information through our physical senses. What we see what we hear, feel, smell and taste. But our perspective is not objective and often self-centred and self-justifying. I've heard people use phrases like God knows my heart when confronted with truth and refuse to be corrected. Instead of using the opportunity to stand on the balance and see what God sees and repent, they justify their actions and their sin. It is true, only God knows our hearts and he desires to give us a new heart. He desires to change us from the inside out. A new heart produces new lifestyle choices and actions. We need to recognize that God does not look at things like we do. He sees the complete picture. He knows our intentions, our motivations, our attitudes, the very root of our actions. We may think our intentions are good, but even our definition of good falls short of what God deems as good. He does not judge, reason, or logically explain things the way we do. His ways are not our ways, and neither are his thoughts our thoughts. Hence, the reason scripture often offends and some refuse its correction. He does not measure as we measure. He does not weigh how we weigh. Proverbs 24 and 12. 
I'll read it again. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? God knows what we know. And he knows what we understand. He has inside information on our doings and our goings. All these things are weighed against his word. To have excess body weight is a risk to our physical health. But a healthy heart is a heart that is fat. It is a heart that has substance. Several places in the scripture, the word fat is used to describe prosperity. A fat heart is rich and fertile. It is a place where the word of God grows and brings forth much fruit. It is a heart that can be corrected, a place of complete submission and obedience to the word of God. A healthy heart delights in the law of the Lord and takes pleasure in it. Psalm 92.14 refers to those that are planted in the house of the Lord and that flourish in the courts of God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age and they shall be fat and flourishing. A spiritually healthy heart will continue to grow and flourish even when the body reaches old age. A fat and flourishing heart is a heart that is abounding in the knowledge and promises of God. It is a heart that is humble and able to find a place of repentance. David is said to have had a heart after God's own heart. He loved the house of God. He loved the people of God. He honored the man of God and he trusted in God. There were times when David made mistakes. He allowed his will to influence some decisions. In those times of rebellion, when God's prophet confronted David and revealed his sin, David didn't justify himself and kill the prophet as others did after him. But David humbled himself and submitted to the process of correction and the consequences of his sin. To have a flourishing, fat heart, we must feed it appropriately. We are what we eat is true for our heart. This just doesn't happen. Just like a healthy diet is required to control our body weight, a healthy diet is also required to make our hearts fat. Eating spiritually does not involve ingesting literal food, but we eat spiritually by what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, and what we think about. Being filled with the Spirit of God allows God to saturate our lives with His influence. We must cultivate an atmosphere of worship, not only at church, but in our homes. In Ephesians 5:19 and 20, we are instructed to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord, to give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By doing this, we give the word airtime and it works its way into the depths of our heart and begins the process of renewing our mind. If we will soak our mind with the things of God, a transformation begins to take place as our thinking submits to God's thinking and his ways become more important than our ways. We begin to live the I must decrease and he must increase that John the Baptist spoke of 
and, and the thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same way in, it, in which excess body weight contributes to disease in our physical bodies, sin is the contributing factor to a heart that is found wanting. A wanting heart is a heart that is lacking the qualities that God is looking for. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked what he had to do to inherit eternal life, Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And we find the account in Matthew 19, starting at verse 17. The young man asked for more information. Which? As Jesus began to list the commandments, he knew. Jesus knew the young man had kept. The young man checked the boxes. Do no murder. Check. Do not commit adultery. Check. Do not steal. Got that one. Do not bear false witness. Yep. Honor thy mother and father. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Check. When the young man had checked all the boxes, he asked Jesus in verse 20, What lack I yet? Lord, in what areas am I wanting? Where is my lack? You who measures and weighs in a just balance, how much do I weigh, Lord? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, that is, complete, finished, having no part wanting. Go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and that shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. The young man left Jesus sorrowful that day, for he had great possessions. We can be feeding our heart all the right things and still have sin in our lives. It is possible to sit in the presence and feast sit in his presence and feast at his table and be found wanting. Sin will work against us. It eats away at the fat of our heart. It spoils the soil and causes weeds and thorns to grow that will eventually choke the word of God out of our lives. Sin steals the seed before it can change us. If we allow sin to continue, it will change our priorities. His way and his word will no longer be as important as it once was. Our will, our ways, what we think, what we want become a priority. We are commanded to keep our heart with all diligence. Sin is subtle and has a way of catching us off guard. And if left undealt with, will cause spiritual sickness and even death. Sin can be as simple as a bad attitude, selfishness, and even rebellion, but not too much for anyone to notice, but just enough for God to know it's there. We do not know ourselves as well as we think we do. We cannot know our own hearts. We need God to reveal it to us. The Word of God tells us that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 28 and 26 tells us, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Our hearts continually lie to us. Just like the rich young ruler, we can think we're doing okay. We've checked all the boxes. We've got it all, all sorted. But when our heart is revealed, what we will do with the information that has been revealed to us? Will we too walk away sorrowful? Or like David, 
confess at the realization that we have sinned against the Lord. God reveals the deception of our hearts to us, not to condemn us, but to correct us. Because like any good father, he wants us to do well. He tries, he tries us to reveal to us the true state of our heart. He wants us, when we step into his balance, to be measured up to his word. He does not want us to be wanting in any good thing. He does this by allowing us to go through situations in our lives that we may see the deceitfulness of our own heart. He already knows it's there, but he cannot deal with sin in our lives unless it is acknowledged and we bring it to him. He will reveal the junk that we, that we might repent and allow him to cleanse us and change us and make our hearts fat. His plan for his plan for us far exceeds our own. The storm is not designed to destroy us, but for him to reveal our weaknesses and to show his strength. He uses situations to allow things that we have buried to come to the surface that he can skim off the dross and flush out the impurities. He wants, us, he wants to do some gardening and pull out some weeds that we have allowed to grow to get rid of the sin and the things that weigh us down so that our heart may flourish and be fat in him. His desire is that when we are weighed, we would measure up against his word and he wants to help us to succeed. Daniel 5.27 Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. King Belshazzar, the grandson or great-grandson of the great Nebuchadnezzar through a, through a great feast. And while he was drinking before his guests, he commanded to bring out the gold and the silver vessels which his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, that he and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought out the sacred golden vessels and distributed them amongst the royal guests to drink from them. As they drank, they praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. And in that same hour, fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the wall near a candlestick where everyone could see. It wasn't the whole hand that was seen, just the fingers collected around a writing implement, the things you learn from commentaries. Always thought it was a finger but it was actually hands. Anyway, Daniel 5 and 6. The king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote on against another. A more modern paraphrase puts it like this. He went white as a ghost, scared out of his wits. His legs went limp and his knees knocked. The king yells for the wise men of the kingdom to come and interpret the writing on the wall. He promises great reward for whoever is able to reveal what is written to him. And as is God's custom when dealing with men who think they have power, he causes confusion for those who are deemed wise. As the wise men came, none could read or make known to the king the interpretation thereof. All the learning in the known world is no match for our omniscient God. The fact his wise men couldn't work it out really frightened Belshazzar. His face changed again. 
He was so frightened, it was noticeable enough that the wise men panicked. The queen hears what's going on and comes into the banqueting house. As all the wives of the kings were present at the banquet, it would seem that this queen, referred to here, may have been the queen mother. And this further, you could, you could say that she was the queen mother because she was well acquainted with Nebuchadnezzar's reign and the appointment of Daniel as head of the wise men of the kingdom. She tells Belshazzar about Daniel. She tells Belshazzar about what with Nebuchadnezzar and how Daniel came in and how Daniel did this and did that. And so Daniel is called to come before the king. And Belshazzar praises Daniel by telling him what wonderful things he'd heard about him and, and promises to reward him with riches if he could interpret the writing on the wall. Daniel's not interested in the riches. The glitz and the gold of Babylon didn't do anything for Daniel. But he was willing and agrees to read the writing and give the interpretation. Daniel begins not with what's written on the wall, but with a history lesson. Not because the king needed to know, but because he needed to be reminded. Daniel was about to pronounce judgment on a man that should have known better and learnt from his grandfather's mistakes. Daniel 5 and 22. And thou this his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And then further down, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose all thy ways hast thou not glorified. Daniel then proceeds to read, read and interpret the writing on the wall, pronouncing judgment. Our opening text is part of what was written on the wall. Belshazzar was weighed in the balances and found wanting. He was lacking in the necessary qualities that God came looking for. He had lifted up himself against God, not just in this instant. It would seem that Belshazzar had done this consistently throughout his reign. And the last straw was to take that which belonged to, to the worship of the one true God and use it in his revelry as common vessels. Belshazzar could not say, surely we did not know this, because God knew he knew. It was possible that Belshazzar was alive to see the humbling of his grandfather and to see what could happen to a man who exalts himself to be equal with God. Regardless of whether he was an eyewitness, he knew it had taken place and he refused to humble himself. He who weighs hearts considers this, considered this before he rendered Belshazzar according to his deeds. How much do I weigh? Job 31 and 6. Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. Job knew how much he weighed and wasn't afraid to step up and allow God to weigh him. Unfortunately for Job, he didn't get the backstory to his suffering like we do at the beginning of his story. God knew some things about Job's heart and the type of man he was that the devil didn't know. The Lord brags on Job, describing him as perfect and an upright man, 
one that fears God and eschews evil. Satan assumed that Job only loved God because of the benefits God had provided him. Job was protected by a supernatural hedge. The work of his hands was blessed and so was his land. But God had an accurate picture of Job. He knew what Job's reaction would be and so he allowed the devil access to Job's stuff. In one day, Job lost everything but his wife and their house. His animals were gone and his kids were killed. Messenger after messenger came in to give him more bad news. Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head. He humbled himself and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. The next time the Lord met with Satan, they discussed Job. God brags on Job again. He says all the same things and adds that Job is holding on to his integrity through all of this. Again, Satan assumes that if he can cause Job physical pain, all that a man hath will he give for his life. So God gives Satan permission to touch his body, but not to take his life. Not only did Job have to contend with the grief of losing his children, his stuff and his health, but he had to deal with helpful friends. I can only imagine how miserable Job must have felt but he didn't allow his feelings to interfere or lie to him about what he knew about God. He kept his heart with all diligence. He did not allow the sound of his wife's sobs or the voices of his friends influence him to sin against God. Job had a fat heart. It was rich and fertile. He knew God knew everything. And this is why... He sacrificed on behalf of his children, just in case they sinned. He didn't know, but God would. Job had a confidence and a reverence for God that kept him. Throughout his, his trial, Job was pretty confident he was the innocent party, although his friends tried to convince him otherwise. Job was not afraid to step up to be weighed in God's balances to prove his integrity. God knew that Job wouldn't falter. He had He'd had every right to brag on Job. Nothing is hidden from God. He sees the complete and accurate picture. He's able to probe our innermost workings and shine the light in areas we didn't know existed. We cannot run from God. We can live in a way that is right in our own eyes, doing what we want and how we want, following the path set by our deceitful and desperately wicked heart, but the balances await. You will not be able to say, surely we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the hearts consider what you know? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And he will not render to each man, and will he not render to each man according to his deeds? We have the opportunity to ask God now, how much do I weigh? What lack I yet? What are the areas I am wanting in, Lord? These are hard questions to ask because hard answers may follow. A fat heart may only be achieve achievable if we are willing to let go of some things. Things that are precious to us in this life. The rich young ruler chose to keep the riches he could touch with his hands 
rather than give them up for the riches that come from a healthy heart. Are we ready for what God will say when we ask him? How much do I weigh? Will we submit to the process of removing the junk? Or will we justify ourselves and allow sin to eat away at what God would try and do in our life? It's a question we all need to ask. And it's a question that only we can ask God as it is the Lord that measures and weighs the heart. Why don't we stand this evening? I'm not going to call an altar call tonight. But I want us to consider how much do I weigh? I can't answer that for you. I don't have a scale. I don't have any of that stuff. But God knows. God knows each and every one of us here tonight. The Bible says he knows the very hairs, the very hairs on our head are numbered. And so he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows every detail of your life. He knows your intentions. He knows your motivations. He knows if you're manipulative. He knows all those things. Sometimes we don't know those things about us. But are we willing to ask the question? I don't want to get there on the day when we all stand before the Lord and it's my turn to stand in the scale. I want to hear a well done. I want that thing to balance for his word and my life to balance. That he would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to be found wanting. And for him to say, I never knew you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. We need to ask the hard questions tonight. This is so important. Our life depends on it. Our eternal life depends on it. Can you ask the question tonight? How much, Lord, do I weigh? Hallelujah. Hello, Lord, and then I'm going to tell us.